I'm not sure. That's a that's a Joshua area of expertise right there. Okay. I'm pretty sure it came out fine though. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, just making sure. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, welcome back, everybody, to our second episode of the Leftist Book Club, where we're going to be talking about uh, Karl Marx and Capital. Specifically, we're talking about Chapter 3 today. Um, it's Part 2 of our uh, multi-part discussion on one of Karl Marx's seminal works. So Austin, I want to go ahead and give the floor to you. Um, before we start with Capital, though, actually, let's talk about, have you been reading anything else recently? Um, uh, Diana, I mean, I read some of it, but Diana's reading most of it right now. I bought a Norwegian wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you call me? And so yeah, I'm, reading, I'm reading some of that right now. It's pretty good so far. Yeah. Um, have you read any of his other books before? Or? No, no, this will be the first one. Okay. Did I tell you about Murakami or did you just find out about him by yourself? Well, no, you posted, uh, you did some posts about him on Twitter like some months ago or there was like a uh, post about showing your bookshelf or something. And I think you said something along the lines of like you had more of his works than any other author. And I was like, okay, so I should probably read some of his stuff. So I just saw, I saw Norwegian Wood at Barnes & Noble and picked it up. That's a good one to start with. Um, I recommend uh, Norwegian Wood or um, I actually started with um, – and this one's not a good one to start with, but it's like, cause almost like 700 pages, but, um, the wind up bird chronicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that like, one. that's one of his most famous ones besides Norwegian wood. Norwegian wood actually is the most mm-hmm. famous one. So I always recommend that one. Um, and my favorite is a Kafka on the shore by Murakami. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you're reading it though. That's awesome. Yep. Just slowly, but surely I'm, I don't, I guess I'm doing this thing now, which is the complete opposite of what I used to do. I used to dive head first and just completely dive into one thing and let that mm-hmm. one thing consume me. But now I'm doing this thing where I kind of like I'm doing like a juggling act where mm-hmm. like I'm reading I'm reading or I'm reading slash watching little bits of things at a time, you know, slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. So like um, I'm reading uh, Murakami. Um, I'm reading uh, I'm reading the uh, Book of Magic, the same man universe, Books of Magic. Um, it's like a, uh, it's basically Harry Potter, but it really is. Um, and it's part of the, cause you read Sandman, right? Did you read Sandman by Neil Gaiman? Yeah. Sandman series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The books of magic is, uh, one of the, uh, series that takes place within that same universe. Uh, it's like a spinoff, right? Yeah. It's, it's this guy, this young kid you know, comes across like a, uh, Necronomicon, like a book of the dead or a book of life or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then he gets graced with like this talking owl. <laughs> just, so, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of magical, uh, you know, it, it checks all the boxes of like a, a boy wizard story. So, um, but we're reading that because I remember we had a discussion, uh, we were talking about, we were talking about JK Rowling when she said all that stupid shit and was being, you know, transphobic and stuff. And, uh, and we were talking about Harry Potter and I was like, you know, there was this story. I was like, there was this story that came out well before Harry Potter. And I'm pretty sure it's the same premise, something along the same lines. And so we looked up and I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's in the Sandman universe. And so I went and bought the first two volumes of that. Um, so I read the first two issues of that, um, and reading Capital, uh, Capital for, for this. Um, 
I think that's about it. I finished reading uh, uh, Paul Dobin's uh, Witcher uh, omnibus, so I just I just finished reading that. It was really good. Um, but, that's uh, the comic, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it is the art's a little weird. It's the same guy who did the last Hellboy arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that like the they made Hellboy like kind of short. It looks kind of like Wolverine. He's got a big chin. He's kind of short and stocky. Mm-hmm. He's like that. He, the the artist art's kind of like that. So we, Geralt looks kind of weird at times, but Geralt's supposed to look weird. You know, he's he's ugly. He's a he's a fucking witcher. You know, he's mutated. So, um, but the art's not great. But I like the stories. I mean, the stories are like the stories are straight out of like if you're playing a Witcher three side quest. You know, so mm-hmm. it's 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 like that, and they're and they're pretty good. Um, but that's about it. Where are you reading? Uh, well, I um. I just recently, the last book I read because I've been kind of I've been kind of busy with school starting back. But the last book I fully read was um, one of those uh, very short introduction books on Heigl. Um, okay. I read that, and I've been reading. Um, so I don't a little bit of, like a little bit behind the curtains about my personality. I don't know if you know this about me, Austin, but like. Typically, I get kind of like obsessive over like one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I get like hyper obsessive. So typically, I mean, you, like, I know, yeah, you, yeah, you fixate. Like me, I fixate on things, and yeah, I do that with a lot of things. I, I do that with most. I mean, if it's a good quality, like if it's if it's if it's a really good story and it's really engrossing, then I get fixated on it. But mm-hmm. I can tell usually pretty quickly if I'm going to get fixated on it. You know? Yeah, mine's kind of weird because like it. It happens to where um, I, I like, and I know people do this naturally anyway, but um, I found that I do it to like the nth degree where I like I focus on hobbies. So I have like a bunch of hobbies, right? Like, or not a bunch of hobbies, but I have like things that I like to do. I like to watch movies. I like to watch shows. I like to play video games, read books, whatever. Um, well, I find that I like hyper fixate on one hobby at a time typically. So I get like yeah. really into comics and I'll like mm-hmm. just read comics. And I'll do some other, like I'll I'll play some video games here and there or whatever, mm-hmm. but like I'll like just do that or mm-hmm. books, right? Like I was recently like hyper fixated on books. So I read yep. like bam, 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 yeah. bam, like books yeah. to the nth degree. Well, yeah. recently I got hyper fixated on um, in front of the pod Cameron introduced me to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so I got mm-hmm. hyper fixated on that show and I finished all of that show and all the spinoff show Angel recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I've done that, and I literally just finished Angel today before we started recording. Um, but I mean, it's I, I watched um, what was it? It's seven seasons of Buffy minus two. So I watched five seasons of Buffy and five seasons of Angel in like three weeks. Mm, that's something uh, twenty-two episodes. That's a lot of content for me in three weeks. <laughs> like I can't uh-huh. do anything. I can't do anything like that now. Um, I mean, I'll hyper, I'll, I'll fixate on something like video games. Um, I think, I think when we first moved out here, um, and then right as the public health orders started rolling around mm-hmm. and they shut everything down, they shut all the museums. That's when I got super fixated on video games. And like, mm-hmm. that's when, that's when I think probably a minimum of like five hours a day was spent with me playing video games, probably for like several days in a row. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I was doing. And at the time, I think, what was I doing at the time? Of, but it, it's kind of like when, when I play, uh, I guess when I play one video game, it's not necessarily just video games in general. Like I'll fixate on that one video game until like I'm absolutely burnt out on it. 
you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and I usually can tell right away, like I said, when I'm going to get fixated on it. Like we were talking about, we were texting about Ghost of Tsushima and I was, I was super hyped for it. Cause I was like, you know, it's a, you know, it's supposed to be the last great PS4 exclusive and everybody's hyping it up and you know, the lore and the whole uh, samurai aesthetic. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hype. I'm going to get hyped for this. I'm going to get excited. Cause everybody else is. I mean, it's, it's, and then, and then I play like the first five hours and I'm like, I don't care about this at all, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, it's not, and it, it, it's because it really like, it didn't, it's not, it's not worth fixating on. In the yeah. End. Cause it's, it's a, boring, it's a boring yeah, yeah. game. Yeah. It's, yeah exactly. it's not worth uh it's not worth a couple of linen or whatever Mark would say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not yeah. worth two, two linens. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I finished, um, I finished Buffy and uh, Angel and I started reading. Um, so, you know, those uh, blank and philosophy books. Oh, like yeah. Ba- yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I got it's funny because like I was I was driving home from school and I was like, you know, I kind of want to check out um, half price books today, even though I know I have so many books that I'm like, you know, they, they always say that book reading and book buying are two different hobbies. Oh God! Yeah. Right, because because you go okay. I really want to buy some books, but like you know, you have a bunch of to, to get through. Um, right. So I had a lot to get through, and I was like, I'm not going to buy any more books. But for some reason, after school one day, I wanted to go to half price books uh, near my house and just browse. And I started browsing, and I was like looking through. I don't remember. Oh, I was looking through the philosophy section because mm-hmm. um, that's where I I'd normally go and look. And they had Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Philosophy for like six bucks. And I'm like, hell yeah. So I, I picked that. I've been reading that um, since I finished the uh, mm-hmm. since I finished the Buffy thing. I, I do want to say this, though. Um, let me grab a, my copy of it real quick. It's funny because and, and reading Capital might, um, might uh, jog this a little bit, too. But it's funny, like, being in academia and reading, like, academic articles – because um, oh, where, where I think it was chapter eight. Uh, let me see. So, uh, academics when they write this type of shit, because because these are um, yeah, here it is. Uh, when they write this type of stuff, they typically name it have a very particular naming pattern. So, like, I wrote a paper and it was called "Dating Apps and uh, Marxism: Colon Like." the alienation of the individual or something mm. typically like that. And so in this book, it's a uh, chapter eight titled between heavens and hells colon, the multidimensional universe and Kant and Buffy, the vampire slayer. And I'm like, that is such an academic bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fucking great. Oh yeah. I remember you told, you told me about that paper and uh, I think you said your, the professor was really into it, right? Yeah. She I likes it. So. Yeah. Part of that paper actually um, came from came from our first discussion of capital. Not like came from our first discussion, but like oh. what we discussed in that uh, was part of that paper. So, oh no, the alienation. Okay, so I guess we'll, you know, talking about that, we'll uh, we'll get into the actual meat and potatoes of the discussion and talk about um, chapter three. Mm-hmm. So I want to call this the. Um, bullshit chapter that you can just skim <laughs> so, <laughs> well you know you know that's i mean that's true because 
there's so much information, but there's not a lot of meat and potatoes, like you like to say. It's not he. Th- there, I mean, it's a big chunk of the book, and it's not. I think. I think. I. I can off the top of my head before I go look at my notes. I think off the top of my head, I can only think of maybe three, maybe three big takeaways from it. Yeah. As, no. As, I. He. You know. He rehashes. Okay. So in this chapter. He's talking about money. It's called Chapter Three: Money or the Circulation of Commodities, um, and he discusses. He kind of sums up what he said, like in the first two two chapters of the book, right? And I, I want to say this, like, because I, I knew it would be a short, like, a shorter discussion than mm-hmm. our normal our normal discussions will be about this. Um, I do want to say that most of his stuff is recycled in this chapter. He's kind of like. He he does kind of go into some more detail, um, mm-hmm. but even then, it just seems like a lot of it is more um, things we've learned before, things that he's told us before. I don't know how you felt reading it, but that's how I felt reading it. It felt like it felt like we were going around the bases again. It like yeah. we were like you know like uh, we went around the bases the first two chapters. Uh, I guess let's let's say the diamond. Let's say the diamond of the bases that we're going around. Is mm-hmm. money and commodities. It kind of feels like when you're going through the, the chapter three, you're slowly almost hitting all of those diamonds again, like all of the bases again, and that one diamond. So, um, yeah, it, you, when you when you first get into it, I mean, his first he, he basically it's all, all like a reintroduction. Where it's like, a, hey, remember when we talked about uh, money and the value of money and putting prices on things and and uh, he, he basically just go through all of that again, you know? Um, yeah. I think, I think on the first page, he, one of his rehashes that I think is pretty important is that he describes that, uh, the price or money form of commodities is like their form of value. Generally a form quite distinct from their palpable bodily form. It is therefore a purely ideal or mental form. I think that's kind of the whole point of, of this chapter. Um, like, you know, he talked about imaginary or ideal money. Mm-hmm. He says that, um, and again, this is just like rehash, you know, like um, uh, this part where he talks about how um, human labor is expressed in imagination when it comes to money. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, that that's that's the main crux of our discussion, I feel like, is just talking about how this chapter, it's just, it's, it's uh, he's already went through this before, like we read this right. earlier. Right. You know, so I, I don't know what stood out to you when reading this. But yeah, let, well, let me just pull up my uh, let me just pull up my notes. I don't hold on. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So there's basically let's see here when he, when he let's I'll just get right to the uh, he get when he's talking about circulation. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's basically. Circulation and the prices of money, uh, or, or how the prices of commodities. Um, he kind of doesn't really, like I said, it really, that other reading these notes, I'm like, this is kind of stuff we've already said before, where mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, commodities are, you know, needs, regardless of whatever kind of need it is, and putting prices on them. Um, let's see here. 
I do want to say, however, though, so you're on section two, right? The circulation. Right. right. So yeah. I do want to say a little bit before that, that we do get, um, he actually does use the word on page 38 uh, for people mm. following along. He uses the term Hegelian, Hegelian concept, which I thought was interesting. Right. Transition from necessity to freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do, we do see Marx as the young Hegelian there talking about, um, you know, he talks about equating it to gold and imagination. Um, and it says, but to enable it to render to its owner the service of a universal equipment, it must be actually replaced by gold, like the commodity itself. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, silver and gold. And he talks about uh, the coins again. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a big part of like the later on. But again, like mm-hmm. we said, it's it's just it's rehashing um, the, the associate. Uh, talking about commodities um, and use values. He says it's a social circulation of matter. I uh-huh. uh, heard that before. My favorite part though, and I, I do want to talk about this a little bit with you is uh, <laughs> again, we see some of his irony. Uh, he talks about, um, mm. he, he talks about a guy who exchanges linen for two pounds, but then <laughs> he says he exchanges it for the two pounds. And then like a man of, of the good old stamp that he is, he parts with the two pounds for a family Bible of the same price. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about like that, that little bit of irony there where he's just right. Cause obviously Marx isn't, he's not religious, but he's, he's saying that this man, like the, mm-hmm. the guy in his fictitious um, thing, he's like, Oh, he's a good old chap. He takes that two pounds and he's going to buy a Bible with it. So, yeah. You know, kind of like saying, well, you know, whatever floats your boat kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, he, they're, they're basically, he's, he says, uh, he fluffs up the words around saying that money in circulation and how it's constantly in flux and it's, what it prices, I guess what I'm, the main, ta- I'm going to get to my main takeaway pretty quick here, but he talks about how like prices, Prices are just determined regardless of supply. Does he say something along the lines of that? Is like when he gets into hoarding and he and he's talking about large amounts of supply. It's not. He's not saying that. And what a lot of economists like Keynes, I think, I think Keynes said something along the lines of like, people want people want money just for the sake of having it, or people want it for the sake of saying, uh, well, you know, it's money. There's a value to it, so I have to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is. Uh, his antithesis to that is kind of just like, well, no money, you know, it's still a, it's still just a a thing, you know, it's, it's not a real, it's just something we've assigned value to. Um, and prices uh, as a reflection of those commodities, prices aren't determined at all really Mm -hmm. by, um, how much there is. It's, it's, it's a capitalist mindset to put a price on it depending on, uh, and you, if there's a created need for it, um, They'll put they'll put as big of a, pro, a fucking price tag on it as as they can, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of my big takeaway from it. Um, I do like the point he talks about in in sec, I think it's um it's on page forty four uh, part B the currency of money. Mm-hmm. He talks about he says the movement of the commodity is a circuit. He says uh, on the other hand the form of this movement precludes. A circuit from being made by the money, and this is this is probably the most important part to me of this this whole um, chapter three. 
The result is not the return of the money, but it's continued removal further and further away from its starting point. Right. So, yeah. Like, like, basically, I think what he's trying to say is, uh, we, we need to reduce, we need to reduce our value, our, our value to money. Is that what he's trying to say? Or reduce our, or reduce our, uh, you know, our, our instinctive need for it. Whether well, it's just for the sake of having it. I think that he's saying that like, so the, the reason why, um, so, so the, we need money to, to buy commodities, right? So, mm-hmm. so we have this weird thing where we need to, we need to feel fulfilled. So what we do is we purchase commodities, right? So, so the good mm-hmm. character stamp or whatever, the good, the good guy, the good man, he's mm-hmm. going to, trade his linen so he can buy a Bible to, you know, have this sort right. sense of fulfillment. Well, the point of like the, the, the point of his linen is to sell his money so that he can acquire the, the object that he wants to be fulfilled. So therefore, the like the movement of the commodity as a circuit is it's not a return to money. That's not the, the, the goal, the ultimate goal of it. The goal of the social exchange of currency is to not have the money anymore and to own the commodity. Oh, right. To have, to have the commodity that fulfills your need. Yeah, right. Yeah, or yeah. your desires. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, he, he, he says that there are some there, whether it's a need yeah. of the, the mind or a need of the right. um, stomach is still a need. In, right. in the right. And that kind of that kind of ties into the capital, the capitalist mindset on it, where a capitalist will assign a, a money value to something and then he will make an exchange with the desire to capital more of that need, not not, not to, to fulfill a need, but to uh well, to, I guess to fulfill the capital need, you know, that he that he uh, wants to increase his capital uh, or to make more money. So his 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 idea is the capitalist mind is to get rid of this money to have more money. In a way, right? Yeah, he he definitely. I mean, that's the thing. Like when you see, so so a capitalist is interesting in so far as that they use money as a means to acquire more money, which is um which is uh, interesting. They don't, they don't, um, typically a capitalist, um, especially like in modern day society won't sell their wage labor. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, they sell it like at the beginning and then they acquire enough capital to, to acquire more money. But, but a capitalist, like their whole thing is that they make money by doing nothing. So they, they make money by throwing money at things. So, um, like Jeff Bezos, right? Like he, you know, trillionaire or whatever like however however much money that man has now I, I, he just right. broke a threshold hold on let me look that up real yeah. quick i don't want to sound yeah. no it was it was it was 200 billion yeah so it, so it was it was 200 billion he's the first person ever to be worth 200 billion so so bezos like mm-hmm. he's not worth 200 billion, right? Like he has, he owns, he owns the capital that's worth 200 billion, but he, right. His sole purpose. I mean, he's got more money than God at this point, at this point. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he's obviously like, and this is something that, um, that Marx talks about in the communist manifesto 
he's not in it to fulfill an inherent desire for like, let's say he wants a book. Right. I don't know what book he wants. Let's just say, let's say he wants uh, Norwegian wood, just a regular copy of Norwegian wood. He's got yeah. enough money to, to, to buy Haruki Murakami to write him any number of books he wants. So he's not looking after money to fulfill that specific desire, but his desire itself is the desire to acquire more money because in a capitalist society, it, it says like your success as a person is determined by how much capital you own or how much money you have. So right. he, so in, in the communist manifesto, Marx describes um, the capitalist as a necromancer who unleashes magics out of his control. So Bezos in acquiring enough capital to acquire $200 billion, right? right. Um, is he's, he's playing with magics that are out of his control because he, he has this desire to acquire, 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 but at, to, to what's, what's the end goal? Like they're right. It's just the, the, the goal of acquire acquiring. Yeah. That's hoarding. Yeah. The goal is to hoard. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we get into hoarding. Yeah. So, so give me your thoughts on, so this is basically the last part. And like I said, it was going to be a, a shorter discussion, but, mm -hmm. but give us your thoughts on these last like little parts. Like, so he's got hoarding section three is on completely on money means of payment, stuff like that. Right. Um, hey, let me see here. Uh, what's the process of hoarding is money proper. Um, yeah. So the, Okay, yeah. So he also well he gets into doesn't he he kind of jumps into uh uh, uh credit and, and debt and debt right I think he mm -hmm. I think I remember him talking about that um, but what basically before before uh, you tie that credit and debiting into it because there's a uh, there's like a well the hoarding kind of serves as a uh, a function. Uh, or the, the the argument is that hoarding kind of helps the circulation uh, of money, you know, and the accumulate more and more accumulation. And the argument uh, for capital is that the more you, uh, the more capital you attain, and the more accumulation there is, you can put more into circulation. Um, but I think uh, he he kind of he kind of rushes to critique that by saying that circulation isn't really like it. it Circulation doesn't help the social function of fulfilling human needs or something along the lines of that. Or at least mm -hmm. that's kind of what I took away from it. How like there is there is a money circulation from hoarding and how hoarding the argument for it, you know, when we create more and more, so there's more and more for people to have. Mm -hmm. Um but in it it's not he criticizes that by saying it doesn't it's not a it doesn't serve as a social function. It's just it just creates the ability for people to be more and more uh, defined by their, their, their capital, by their wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really kind of the gist of it that I kind of took from it. I mean, the, the accumulation, the accumulation of mm -hmm. riches is, is in itself a right. market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He says there's a constantly extending market for gold and silver unconnected mm -hmm. with their functions as money. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, a latent source of supply mm -hmm. to which recourse is had principally in times of crisis and social disturbance. So, yeah. and I mean, we saw, I mean, we've seen that, um, with the, the pandemic people, mm -hmm. it's so funny. Like, well, let's, let's dive into this a little bit. It's very funny 
that like with the pandemic that happened and there was a lot of people losing their jobs. Right. And so what happens where people were saving their money, which is what (laughs) Fox business and all these people tell you to do. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, they say that like, Oh, it doesn't matter that homie can't afford college and he's living paycheck to paycheck. Like what he should do is he should save his money. He should invest smartly. He should learn how to code or whatever. Well, the problem is, (laughs) and we talked about this on the regular pod, when you save your money, when you hoard your money in the times of crisis, it actually hurts the economy because, because, and, and that's, so saving your money is good only in so far as no one else is saving their money. Right. If you save your money and then you invest, it's good for you as long as other people are spending because people are spending. But if no one's spending, if no one's buying the newest, um, you know, uh, Jordans or whatever, then, you know, the, the Jordan factory is not making money. So w- mm-hmm. money becomes devalued, actually. Mm-hmm. And then and, more and more people go, if the Nike factory all of a sudden says that, well, people aren't spending money so we gotta ruin your life and you know cut hours so now you're just creating this awful uh you know what the rec- where what a recession ultimately runs into and that's a lot of people losing their uh losing the ability to maintain a job and to work mm-hmm. uh which is just absolutely devastating you know and uh and that's yeah that's ultimately it's like a uh i don't know what else to call it other than it's like a ripple effect you mm-hmm. know and that's and it's and it ties basically into a lot of basic economic understanding, um, and it's uh, it's it's one of those stupid fucking things that it's like a uh, a lot of people jump to trickle down economics, which yeah. I vaguely remember because I thought it was the most I, I think it was just the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's Ronald Reagan. Of course, you think it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard because yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, but it's a lot of people running to that. And saying that trickle down economics and the invisible hand of the market will, you know, eventually, uh, they, it's a belief that it, it corrects itself. It's like, in a way, it's kind of like nature, and nature, nature will always win in that kind of sense. But, um, you know, it's it's in fact the opposite. It's a very controlled. It's a very controlled thing that it's not natural at all. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, we were. Uh, what was the main point that you made? We were just, we were just talking about, uh, oh yeah, not, not spending money. Yeah, exactly. You know, people, uh, I mean, we did the same thing. You know, we, we got unemployment and we literally, I don't think we didn't do shit for the whole first month we were here because we were scared. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Diana was going to work at a, a casino and all the casinos shut down. But thankfully, you know, they, we've got, well, they give us, we've got food stamps. So like we're not having to spend all of our food or our money on food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we can fulfill the necessities like taking care of our cars and stuff. Um, yeah, we need to so, be, ca- we need to be careful mentioning food stamps cause the ran- the Ayn Randians will, uh, and by Ayn Randians, <laughs> I mean libertarians will come after you and say, Hey, that's, you can't do that. Even though our, our, mm-hmm. uh, libertarian queen Ayn Rand was herself on food stamps her entire <laughs> life. Right. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're definitely, we both, we both were approved for food stamps. I think we get, I think we get. It's weird that it's not rounded up, but we get one hundred and ninety nine dollars a month each in food stamps. So like, why wouldn't it just be two hundred dollars? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so fucking stupid. Yeah, you can't buy so, that one extra Hershey's yeah, chocolate bar. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what we did. We saved our money because, well, what, it just kind of worked out to where we weren't we we weren't going to do anything. And I mean, what can we do? So, um, yeah, are you guys we, back we, in work now? By the way, sorry to. 
Well, uh, Diana's not, but I, I am. Like I'm, okay. I, I'm working here and there at a uh, at the office, and well, not really here and there. But I was going to work at the state film department, and that didn't really work out. Uh, so because you know there wasn't anything to do, and so they just now it's just like a two person office thing again. So um, it was that assistant job went out the window. So then uh, now I now I'm kind of back into I'm kind of back in the furniture business again i'm just doing like some i'm just doing some stuff with furniture and did mattress and whatnot but um but it's mainly just setting stuff up and because business is so slow right like who the fuck's buying furniture right now um nobody uh actually it's funny because uh we're, we're talking about spending and people not buying things it's funny because it's almost like there was this weird thing i'm going to use as an example so i'll get i'll get to my point eventually, but the furniture business, it, it's like nobody actually, nobody actually buys actual furniture anymore. Like mm-hmm. every fur- furniture all comes out of a box now. <laughs> I mean, like that, right. that book, that bookshelf I put together yesterday, it literally was just in a box, you know, like nobody actually goes to like a furniture outlet and buys the couch that's sitting out on the floor. It's just like, and even, even then it's just marginal furniture at best. It's, it's just, uh, it's a reflection. I think when you see furniture being boxed up and being reduced to very minimal things, it's really a reflection on our, like our standard, like our, not our standard of living, but just kind of like what's going on in our housing situation. Like where we're literally having to make furniture smaller. People are, we're buying furniture in fucking boxes mm-hmm. because we, we literally don't have the space to buy actual real furniture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, do you think that like um oh what was it oh uh well I mean like look at how many people have to look how hard it is for a lot of people um to like live on their own to like own a house or whatever I mean most people have like roommates right oh yeah exactly well yeah yeah and even even if you have roommates let's say uh, even if you have roommates you uh, like you're going out and going to your local Ashley home furniture and you want to buy this giant sectional fucking couch. Like mm-hmm. even, even if you do have roommates and you know, you're somebody told me about Mo bosses and, and cars will tell me what was going on, but it was, it's, it really is just a reflection of, uh, um, the growing income inequality, just like the size, like our, our living quarters are getting smaller and smaller. Um, but at the, at the same time, you know, like who the fuck's buying furniture anyway? Because people aren't living alone, and young people young people aren't buying nice furniture in the first place because one, it's really fucking expensive, <laughs> and and two, like we we can find marginally cheaper furniture in a box, put it together ourselves in our little apartment space, and you know make do. And yeah, it probably will. You know, it probably is more likely to break or something. But I mean, what the fuck else are we gonna do? But did um, you see that there was a post on Twitter, and I, I think I said it was like. I said, this is the only aesthetic work worth fighting for. And it was like, ladies, what would you do if you saw this? And it was like a basement. And it was just like a mattress on the floor. But like the bed oh, was made. Yeah. This was it's kind of funny. It was like, and then it was like a, a bunch of shoes and hats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like a PS4. And that was like it. Like it was very minimalistic. And I'm like, that's I mean, incredible. That, do, do you remember? I mean, that was pretty much how I was living in my parents' basement, was it not? Like you saw, you saw, you saw how I lived. Like I had that small little area and then my bedroom was, and it, it was like concrete. Like it was, I was literally under the house and I had the bed, I had my PlayStation. That was about it. I think that's all I really had down there. 
but yeah, that's, really, yeah, it really was the, uh, uh, I, I really felt that I got, I got called out by that, that, uh, that post because that's literally, that's literally how I was living for several just ha- years. Just oh, like, yeah, just going to the bro, like popping yeah. one with the popping, pop, popping a couple brewskis with, you know, mm-hmm. the bros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, um, talking about like hoarding and stuff, but like, again, I think it's very, I think Marx is very good at writing to, even to like, like back then he's writing to like a, a modern audience, right? Like oh, yeah. talking about how, I mean, he even talks about how, uh, reserve service conduits for the supply, uh, for the supplier withdrawal of money to, or from the circulation, uh, which in this way it never overflows in the banks. I mean, you know, when you go to the bank, like the bank doesn't have your money there. Like if you have, mm-hmm. if you have like, let's just say, let's just talk, speak like very generously and say you have a thousand dollars in the bank and you go to your bank, then like they don't actually have your thousand dollars. Right. No, 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 Heck no. Especially like now, like I, I said something like it's pretty crazy how fake money is because like now it's just numbers that go up and go down. Yeah, it really is. Like, um, I, I, I think I read, I read something along the lines of, uh, banks phys- physically, I think only actual reserves keep like large monetary amounts of actual, uh, physical like cash in their, mm-hmm. in their vault. I'm pretty sure like the average, the average local bank probably just keeps a couple of like grand or a couple, maybe a couple, I mean, like probably only up to like 10,000, like in, in the actual, but like in reality, the, their amount of flow, the amount of money that goes in and out of that bank is upwards towards the millions, you know, hundreds of thousands, the actual physical amount, the, uh, you know, lower, lower thousands, upper 10,000s. But, uh, um, I read something along the lines of that. And yeah, it was like, what was that? There's like a, there's like a, I remember in in uh, in one of those fucking uh, social study classes or humanities classes, we were shown a clip. I don't know if it was from a movie or what, but like everyone at one point wanted to get all of their money out of the bank, and the bank was like, "No fucking way!" <laughs> you know, yeah, like, it was uh, not gonna I happen. Mean, that was during the Great Depression, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that was that was right. I just couldn't remember what depiction in the movie that was from. I mean, also look at from. look at um. I mean, Venezuela, right? Like Venezuela Mm -hmm. had like a fuck ton of money in the bank, uh, in a, in a Swiss bank and the Swiss wouldn't let it out, you know, as, as a ploy to try and like fucking starve them out. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's the thing. Like, um, (laughs) talk about our next book club, fucking, uh, uh, fucking linen and, and, uh, you know, state and revolution. Like talk about, uh, capitalism, the highest form of imperial imperialism, the highest form of capitalism. Mm-hmm. you know but um, yeah so okay so he talks about like okay so i'm going to be completely honest with you i perused these i did not retain any of this knowledge because i might have been drinking at the time but <laughs> so the I, ending, I, I i definitely was high a couple of times <laughs> so. okay so good so we're right there so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll discover this uh we'll discover this with the listeners so means of payment is Part B, and then C is universal money. Do you know what the, he's talking about with those two sections? Um, my biggest takeaway from world money was that, and it's the I guess the the bigger the world gets, or I was trying to I guess I was trying to apply it to more like uh, globalist take, but like as as 
more and more money goes into circulation, not necessarily just from like hoarding, but like world money in, in the end, uh, regardless of what culture or what it's used for, the same rules apply to all forms of world money in the, in mm-hmm. the sense that like, in the sense that like, um, it's, it's one, it's not real. It's, it's still, it's still just a, it's still just a, a very fake thing that this is, this is where I would bring up one of his uh, Marxist famous quotes where he says, when you die, or it was something along the lines of this, this is, this is won't be verbatim, but like it's, it's something along the lines of when you die, the earth, meaning nature will consume you, but it won't go any fucking, it won't go anywhere near your capital. Like it doesn't give a fuck about your capital. It doesn't give a fuck about your money. Like, you know, in the end, what, what will matter? The most important thing about your death will be that like moths and life will cling on to you and you will decay. And then you, you know, you will essentially be broken down into, uh, you know, you'll be broken down into, into when I say the earth, I just mean like, or kind of just mean nature in general. But he says something like moths, moths and bugs uh, won't even go near your capital or money. So, like, regardless of where you're from, uh, world money, it's just money. And when you die, when we all die in the end, <laughs> it's you, nobody's going to be able to spend it. It doesn't mean anything. Like you right. know, it a, um, I wish I could remember what that quote was. Verbatim. I think it was something along the lines of, uh, I remember him saying moths, moths and rusts. Will accept you, but uh, it won't even. It won't. T- your your capital will go untouched, or something along the lines of that. Right. Um, but other than that, world money is just kind of like the same, no matter where it is. And prices are all prices, and they're all you know, it's all relative to what's being what it's being used for. But um, he said something about the circulation of it. Uh, mm-hmm. The circulation of it's interesting because there are different you know monetary values. The circulation. It's ultimately decided where so we 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 have full control over like we have full control over how it's d- distributed and or what it's redistributed for because that's how, you know like it's very capital you know it, it's something it's something that someone is well I guess what I'm trying to I'm trying to get a little more general it's a very uh, controllable thing that we say is out of control mm-hmm. uh, but it's 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 a very uh, I guess what I'm talking about, like, is the exchange values or uh, what's the what, what, exchange rate? Yeah, the exchange rates. It's all it's all something that's kind of dumb in the end. Is what he ends up saying because it does it still doesn't serve as a social function. And in the end, that money, whether you get a more uh, whether the exchange rate is higher coming coming in or going out, it still doesn't matter because it doesn't serve as a social function and it doesn't contribute in any way because uh, someone is still being. Uh, you know, sucked out for the, there's still, it's still being, you're, you're still being leached out of your labor. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I took away from it. Yeah. I was just reading some of the, um, some of the ending stuff where he talks about, yeah, he talks about money of the world and universal money. Mm-hmm. He talks about how, and he again goes to banks, how they only have enough money for their peculiar functions. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that, uh, he says, talks about whenever these hordes are strikingly above their average level, it is, with some exceptions, an indication of stagnation in the circulation of commodities, of an interruption in the even flow of their metamorphosis. So he talks about like that's a big, that's probably a big takeaway is like the metamorphosis of commodities into money, mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, so yeah, I think, 
I mean, like we said earlier, like, you know, and like I said at the start, I said it's going to be a, a, a shorter pod right. today because he kind of rehashes again a lot of the stuff that we talked about last time. Um, you know, uh, we did talk about hoarding. We talked about all mm-hmm. this stuff. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think chapter three, like as an overall chapter itself mm-hmm. was not as good. At, like, and I know it's funny because a lot of people say, Oh, just skip chapter one and two. Um, mm-hmm. you probably, I mean, you probably could have, but you'd miss that great talk about alienation. So I, I highly right. I don't recommend that. Um, he, he does in chapter three mentions high goal, which, you know, shouts out. Uh, and he does have some good, he's got some good stuff uh, in chapter three, but overall I want to say that chapter three is um, not where it's at, <laughs> you know, not. Well, yeah, not it's, a, I mean, he, I think he, the meat and potatoes of it is really, uh, really gets into hoarding and the con- and consumption. And uh, he's not, he's not being as philosophical about it yet. You know, he's mm-hmm. just kind of like, it's just kind of like hoarding doesn't necessarily uh, hoarding is it hoarding is bad. I mean that's it's essentially what he's saying. It's not it's not at all like uh, it's not at all does not help the uh, what people believe the free market. You know it doesn't it doesn't help at all with circulation. You know uh, you consuming uh, and getting more and more of something in thinking that that money's going and uh, uh circulation and it's going to the right places it's you know it's not you know and um you know like we can because you know i've done this before uh, uh at least i know i have but like it's really fucking weird to like give money to something because you know that what you're going to get is possibly more future money like mm. i've ser- i've straight up bought a Funko pop that I probably thought was going to be insanely valuable one day. Mm. And then I'm like, not, not really. You know, it's, 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 it's just the the whole, there's just, there's, there's just something dehuman about it. You know, there's, or something, there's something unhuman about it. Uh, and how it's, it's, it's more, it was a very capital thing to jump onto the idea of making more money by putting money into it. You know, Mm -hmm. I gave money, I get. I put money into that thing, thinking I was going to get more money out of it. A very capital idea. It's a very capitalist idea, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it it wasn't even to fulfill a need or anything. It was really just to think that you, I could get more money off of it, you know. You know what's funny, and I think I've been through this like in different ways and stuff. But like, um. Josh and I actually had a conversation off pod about this and I, I want to like jump on this just a little bit before we go, but we were talking about how, um, how reading and sports are both things that are, um, not necessarily anti-capitalist in nature, but they don't, they don't adhere to like the progression of capital in, in these types of ways, right? So sports and books obviously are part of a capitalist system. So, you know, mm. a b- book production, like the, the, the producers of the book makes, makes money. And then, you know, the author makes money and, and you give money to, to read this book. But like as a hobby itself, reading is inherently, it's, I wouldn't say it's inherently anti-capitalist, but it doesn't mm-hmm. serve a purpose within capital. So, 
there are certain industries like, and, and I think we've discussed this before actually on the pod where like self-help is a big, um, uh, mental health and self-help are big book industries that actually do serve capital. Oh yeah. But like reading theory, like reading philosophy and stuff doesn't serve capital in the way that traditionally like something like, like a leisure activity or whatever would, it, it's literally like a leisurely activity that you sit and you like, you sit in a room or whatever and you read and you gain this knowledge and like the buying of a book, unless it's like a rare book that's like old as shit. Like if you buy a book normally mm-hmm. probably like 98% of the times that book's going to depreciate in value anyway. Right. So what you're buying is the knowledge that of, of I, well, there's two things you can either buy the book to, to just own the book and have the book and have a nice looking bookshelf, which is, right. which is in and of itself a, a thing that people do. But also you buy the book for the information that you want to read and gain out of that book. And then you put it on the bookshelf and you may read it again. You may never read it again. You may even sell it. But the thing is like, you're not going to make money off of that book unless it's like hundreds of years right. in the future and it's a rare book. Right. And that's something with like, again, like he, Wait, he so, asked, so explain to me. So explain to me that that same reasoning behind sports. So like, so you're saying it applies the same, this, the exact same like reasoning applies to sports. No, so with with sports it's different. I think sports is inherently um like and in, in the the act of watching sports is inherently um I think it's tribalist, but I don't think it's capitalist because sports are a uh a way of of like watching something and then you you can you empathize with people who are like watching that sport with you, but there's no like real real like substantial uh like gain or loss like it's kind of oh, like okay right, right, it's kind of right, like right. a you, you root for a team or whatever and you know yeah they the the people who own the team make money mm-hmm. and like you buy merchandise and they make money off of that but like watching sports itself and like mm-hmm. learning team team development or, or mm-hmm. even just person development is like anti-capitalist because sports themselves as a viewer, like as a spectator, don't, they, they could be cert. You could say, Oh, they're circuses, right? They're just kind of like there to entertain us and to, to make us stupid or complicit or whatever. But also like, I mean, it's a team building exercise that doesn't necessarily increase capital. production. Right, right, right. Um, right. And I guess I I was thinking, as you said that, like I was thinking about gambling Mm -hmm. and like how, and how, I guess gambling would be the only because it's not. I mean, it's not like it's not capitalist in the sense that like you're 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 uh, you're capitalizing on something. You're it's it's a gamble, you know. But I mean, there's still there's still a monetary value to it. But like, yeah, you said even gambling. I don't think you could even you couldn't even apply that to gambling because it's it's, it's that's just what it is. It's chance, you know. And there's uh, mm-hmm. the only thing you seek to gain from it is what you put into it. Um, but yeah, so it's not. like yeah, I, I, I can kind of see, I can see that that line of thinking. I'm I'm on the same page with you there, and I guess I was a little confused because I thought you meant like just the idea, like our current state of sports in general, like we're we're super capitalist. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like you know, well, I don't I don't think that a lot of the leagues are nonprofit, as they say, or I don't I don't. What, what, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of fine or great lines in nonprofit organizations, like the NFL is supposedly nonprofit. But like, you know, there, there, there's definitely capitalists in 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 sports. You know, there's definitely mm-hmm. capitalists in sports that 
uh, that want to uh, capitalize on uh, a, a very like a, like a circusy thing, you know, to distract people. I mean, there. I guess would you say would you say that like a team owner is a, is a capitalist? Oh yeah, I would say yeah, that. Like yeah. I would say that watching like the act of watching a sport or the act of like reading a book would be. Uh, I'm not going to say it's like a, it's not a revolutionary act, but I don't I don't think it's a it's not necess, it's not inherently like a capitalist act, right? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Right. Whereas like whereas like a buying of the Funko Pop, which, right? To transfer exactly. value yeah. you want to it would be yeah 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 exactly. So, so yeah, I think um, you know, I think I, I want to say like I guess my final takeaway from this section of capital is that it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's it's not a good section of the capital. I mean, like like I said, a lot of people say, "Hey, skip the first two chapters." I think there's good stuff in those chapters. I think maybe right. I thought it was boring because like we've already read a lot of this stuff before. Um. So yeah, he does say Heigl though, so that's cool. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that was the uh, one of the highlights of it. But um, just get a little I, Heigl name drop there. I mean, would you would you go out? Would you be willing to say that like this this uh, this chapter didn't really say anything that you hadn't already thought before about money? Yeah, I would say the 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 most damning thing I could possibly say about this chapter is that it's a rehash of um, already really good ideas, <laughs> like yeah. uh, uh, that he said earlier that we've already read earlier in the same book, mm-hmm. so. Um, I mean, there, there's probably going to be some more of that, but, but hopefully not. So, all right. So I guess, uh, do you want to say anything, any last things or, um, no, um, I have, uh, honestly, like after, I don't think I've looked into, I, I haven't looked in, uh, looked at what we're about to read. So I can say that come uh, the next two weeks, uh, I don't know what I'm going to be reading. Like I haven't even, I haven't even cracked the book past where I left off in uh, chapter three. Um, so like what we're going to jump into, are we jumping into part two or is there a chapter yeah. four and six or four? Uh, and five? So, so the way it's set up is it's part two, chapter four. So we're oh, jumping into, right, right. okay. Yeah. So, so um, let's just say, let's go ahead and give it a, a look at real quick before we hop off here and say what we're, we're doing next time. So, okay. So part two is the transformation of money into capital. I say we do chapters. Um, we, do, we, we, we should break it up like we did the last time. So we'll, we'll break it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, it'll be t- part two will be two parts. It'll be chapter four and five next time. And then after that, it'll be chapter six. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but you know, I guess, my, my send off would be that quote I Marx's quote earlier about um, when you die, I mean your your body will be decayed by moths and rust and other natural forms, but your your fucking capital isn't gonna do anything. Like it's just gonna sit there and be meaningless, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I'll leave it with. Uh, that's not the verbatim quote i'm it's killing me that i don't know what it is because i've seen it it was actually my phone wallpaper for a long time like when you open <laughs> when you open my phone it was a marsh quote it was like a black it was like a black field and it was just a white it was the white font it says something on the lines of like moths and rust will not moths and rust will not go near your capital but like they will like they will your decaying body or something like that and i'm like damn that's really deep uh and something and it's also it called it ties in line with you know you can't you, your money 
Uh, no, the exact quote is, and his money he cannot eat. Yeah, that's from the manifesto, I think. Or no, it may be in capital. I can't remember where that was from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, can't eat your, you can't eat your money, and when you die, uh, the earth's not going to eat your money. So Yeah, well, yeah all right. There we go. Okay, so um, so next time, again, join us uh, in two weeks, and we'll see you then. All right, peace out.